Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep to Helen, a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, first published in a collection called The Poems of Edgar Allan Poe, um, later in the Southern Literary Messenger uh, in 1836. The first one was 1831, and then there was an 1845 publication, and there was one revision. Uh, we're looking at the earlier pre-revision. Uh, it's just one line change. I much prefer the earlier. I'm not sure why he changed it to the second. We can discuss that after. Um, Wait, before you go on with that... Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse, I thought that the uh, the PDF that you created for our website mm-hmm. is from uh, Graham's Magazine of 1841. Mm-hmm. I know the Wikipedia entry says there's a revision in the 1845 edition, but mm-hmm. in fact, the 1845 edition has the revision that already appears in 1841. Uh, well, the, the version we're looking at, um, Graham's Magazine, September 1841, the one I'm holding in my hand um, uh-huh. uh, has the second to last line in the last stanza, the folded scroll within my uh, thy hand. Um, whereas in the uh, earlier, uh, sorry, the later version, the 1845 revision, it says the agate lamp within thy hand. I sit corrected. Thank you. So that's the only major difference. I think it makes a big difference to the poem's meaning. I'm, I'm not sure why the revision happens, but I want to make a case for why the original is so much better. And by the original, you mean the 1841, not the 1830s? The 18, well, okay. the 1830 is the same as the 1841. The 1845 is the later revision well, with the Agate the, Lamp. The 1831 doesn't have the same line about uh, the glory that was Greece, the grandeur that was Rome. You know what? Let's hear the poem. When we're working with the it does, 18, but <laughs> we're working with the 1841 edition, Indeed. even though there's a slight revision, as you point out, in the 1845. Right. Okay, and I agree with you, by the way, that I like the 1841 best too. All right. Here we go. To Helen by Edgar Allan Poe. Helen. Thy beauty is to me like those Nicene barks of yore that gently o'er a perfumed sea the weary wayworn wanderer bore to his own native shore. On desperate seas long wont to roam thy hyacinth hair, thy classic face, thy naiad airs have brought me home to the glory that was Greece, to the grandeur that was Rome. Lo, in the shadowy window niche, how statue-like I see thee stand, the folded scroll within thy hand. Ah, Psyche, from the regions which are holy land. Very short poem. Yeah, but it certainly has enough confusion in it, doesn't it? It it. What I love about it is when you when I think when you get what he's doing. <laughs> Um, you realize, oh, this guy's a, this guy's a player. <laughs> okay. What, what is it you take him to be doing? Ah, uh, I take it that the Helen of the title is not just a Helen, um, not just the Helen, the Helen from, uh, the mythology of ancient Rome, uh, sorry, ancient Greece, um, but rather a real woman, at least for the purposes of 
practicing this poem, whether she was a real person named Helen or whether it is a uh, modern Helen for post time. This is a love note poem. Well, the, uh, the common rep uh, one reads in critical sources and biographical sources is that Helen is actually a woman who is the mother of one of Poe's friends when he was a boy mm-hmm. and that he fell in love with her at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what that means. Uh, when I was 14, um, any kind of love that might have existed between a 14-year-old boy and a, a woman who was a mother of a 14-year-old boy would have been called puppy love. But on the other hand, Poe himself married a 13-year-old cousin. Right. He was an adult. So I don't know what this means. But uh, the fact that well, if we take it as a fact that this is written um, as a statement of powerful emotion to a real woman or with a real woman in mind, mm-hmm. um, it still seems to me to be full of a whole lot of questions. Um, like, what are those Nikean barks? And uh, what is hyacinth hair? And uh, what do you mean, Holy Land? And well, all these allusions. Mm. In, in fact, they raised for me a, a fundamental question about how one communicates. If you don't catch the references that are pretty much implicit in almost anything someone says, they're up, they're conspicuous when you have capitalized mm. allusions, as you do here. But, you know, if I said, how are you feeling this morning, since you and I are separated by three different time zones, uh, sorry, we're separated by two, we are, I'm on Eastern time and you're on Pacific time. Um, If I said to you, how are you this morning? An astute listener might think, ah, Eric is putting himself in Jesse's place Mm. since it's morning for Jesse, but it's in fact afternoon for Eric. Um, there are references all over the place when we speak. We always speak in context. That becomes conspicuous when we have, as I say, capital letter allusions, as in mm-hmm. Nyad and, and Psyche, the way Poe has had this published. And I have to ask, if you don't get the allusion, if you don't know what's being referenced, is it possible to be an equally good reading experience? Mm. I don't. I don't know that you can only appreciate it through the ears and from the sounds. I mean, I think the depth of the of the experience is enhanced by compre- comprehension of the illusions. Um, but um, there are words that, um, when we go over it carefully, enhance the meaning, whether it's an illusion or not. So. If I'm looking at the first stanza, Helen, thy beauty is to me like those Nicene barks. I'm pronouncing it Nicene. Uh, it might not be the right way to pronounce it, but I know where it is. It's uh, an ancient city in Anatolia, which is basically modern-day Turkey near Istanbul. Um, but more importantly, those are referring to a particular kind of ship, 
uh, probably the Greek ships that the uh, Greeks used to attack Troy and return home, because we get that in the second half of the stanza. That gently o'er a perfumed sea the weary wayworn wanderer bore to his native own native shore. The weary wayworn wanderer, uh, I would say, an allusion to Odysseus, um, who did go to Anatolia to um, get back a lady named Helen. And um, the the best part of this is actually, for me, not that particular reference, but just the word or. O apostrophe E-R here um, is a homophone for or, O-A-R. So I think it just it makes it massively more beautiful when you when you know that when you can see it on the page that like those Nicene barks of yore that gently oar gently oaring the sea right a perfumed sea and it also brings touch to our uh, love poem um, if I go up to a girl I'm in love with and I oar her arm <laughs> I'm stroking her arm gently, right? Uh-huh. And I think that that's just wonderful. It also happens to be a homophone for the word O-R, <laughs> that gently or a perfume C kind of changes the meaning quite a bit. So I don't, I don't like that one quite as much. But I think the sound is important, but knowing how it's spelled is also important. I, indeed. I, like, I, I very much like what you're pointing out about the, the two attractive meetings of mm-hmm. that third line. One could read it with the comma that gently or a perfumed sea that is gently over a perfumed sea, the weary traveler uh, bore him. Uh, but one could also read it as that gently or a perfumed sea using the word or as you just did with stroking a girl's arm, using the noun as if it were a verb mm-hmm. so that the, the bark's gently or a perfume sea. I, I like the fact that those both work. Mm-hmm. What I find more difficult, however, is that Odysseus, who is the the most, to me, as you, uh, the most likely um, referent here uh, for you know someone coming back to his own native shore, this trip back to his own native shore is most conspicuously, as I say, for Odysseus. But Odysseus um, does not go to the Trojan War to get Helen. He goes to help somebody else get Helen. Mm. In fact, Odysseus's wife, Penelope, is back on his own native shore, uh, Ithaca. Uh, So if this, if it's Helen, uh, one would wonder why are we thinking about Odysseus? And if we're thinking about Odysseus, who is the classic weary, wayworn, excuse me, the classic wanderer, um, or at least long journeyer, um, in the same myth that we know Helen from, the Odyssey, excuse me, the Iliad and the Odyssey. In the Iliad, we fight the war, and the Odyssey, the guy goes home. In fact, each book takes 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right? The Trojan War lasts 10 years. And then Odysseus takes 10 years to get back to Ithaca. 
I would not call him a weary, wayworn wanderer. <laughs> that wonderful use of alliteration, Poe mm-hmm. is so musical, mm-hmm. does not seem to me to be the the terror of having lost nine of his 10 ships, of having his crewmen, many of his crewmen eaten by Scylla as they go by, of having others turned into animals by Circe, of having to fight for their lives against Polyphemus the Cyclops. Mm -hmm. This isn't somebody who's wayworn. He's not just tired from a heck of a long trip. In fact, the god Poseidon has put challenges in front of Odysseus every step of the way. So that, in fact, he is not going on perfumed seas. He's going on tumultuous seas. Mm. Well, that's Odysseus. So I have to ask myself if this is Helen really pose young love. And this is Odysseus really Poe. what have they got to do with Odysseus and Helen in the story? Mm. So why do they come together in this poem? That's that's what I mean when I say this story raises a lot of questions. In fact, one could suggest that if you try to push the understanding of the allusions hard here, mm. it actually diminishes the poem. I think I think you're right, and uh, it, it it could be misunderstood pretty easily. I think that's how I encountered it the first time. Um, Helen, thy beauty is to me like those Nicaean barks of yore. She, he's actually saying you are to me as attractive as the boats that took Odysseus back to his home. Why? Because he longed to be home. Right? It's not. Helen, your beauty is that of Helen, although he does say that in the next stanza. He's saying, <laughs> your love, uh, uh, to me, you are longing, you are desire, you are, oh my God, I wish I could be home. At this point in the story, Odysseus has not returned home, right? He is about to get on those ships. And he didn't want, if we if we go back to the original of the Iliad, he didn't want to go to this war. He was forced to go to this war because of a commitment he had made prior to the uh, events of the story. Um, all the kings of Greece were rounded up and, and because of a promise earlier made, sent off to this war. And he's been away from his wife for 10 years. So... Although he has many uh, fun adventures on his journey home, at this point in the story, he doesn't know that, right? Um, so I think I think you're right. You can't if you push the um, illusion too far, you will see that there's you you won't see what else is going on, and that transitions uh, very beautifully in the second stanza. I think this is one of the best pieces uh, although i love the uh, the alliteration i love this on desperate seas long wont to roam thy hyacinth hair thy classic face thy naiad airs have brought me home to the glory that was greece to the grandeur that was rome so it could be um that he's talking about the classic helen but i don't think that's actually who he's talking about here i think he's much more talking about uh, the person particularly who he's addressing it to, the to Helen of the title, um, being a, a real person in the 19th century. On desperate seas. Wow. 
that's amazing. Agreed. In fact, here's another instance where we probably shouldn't push it too far. And Nayad is a uh, a minor god, a, uh, a, a a nature god, specific, specifically of fresh water. Mm. And the uh, the the most prominent Nayad in uh, or Nayad in uh, Homer is Circe, who, after all, becomes Odysseus' lover, uh, but also first traps uh, his crew, turning them into swine, uh, revealing their true nature, mm-hmm. undoubtedly. Um, so these naiad airs, naiad airs, um, either demeanor or even songs, as if it were sort of um, melding with the notion of sirens, mm. um, they brought me home where? If this is a modern woman, home is the glory that was Greece, the grandeur that was Rome. The speaker here is saying, in contemplating you and your beauty, Helen Jane, um, I find myself transported to the land of classic beauty, mm. of heroes and myth. So it's that general sense that you create some platonic ideal in the world for me mm-hmm. that that's being praised here, which very interesting that the allusions work almost as if they were accents. Mm. You know, I say the same thing to you, but with a French accent. Mm. I could say it with a German accent. The very <laughs> same words would have a different feel. And it's as if this were a, a poem in admiration, but with a classic accent. Mm. Um, yeah, I, that's a nice way of putting it. Uh, and um, I also want to point out, um, There's, I, I think it could be interpreted as a joke, um, a kind of cute little joke. Um, he's describing her. On desperate seas, long want to roam thy hyacinth hair. Now, um, hyacinth, modern hyacinths are generally quite colorful, uh, like anime hair, you know, pink right. or blue, right? Green. Um, not well, not usually green, but pink and blue and purple and that sort of color. So I, I would I would go with the with the scent here because in the first stanza we also have a scent, the perfumed sea, thy hyacinth hair, thy classic face. Now classic you have a classic face i i just go with traditionally beautiful right uh but then my my favorite part is thy naiad airs now my preference is to pronounce it thy naiad ears (laughs) just because it's another body part um (laughs) i think i think it can do both um because it's so close have brought me home to the glory that was Greece, to the grandeur that was Rome, it it, it it's making making him say, look, looking at you reminds me of that classic era, the era I think I'm very deeply connected with, which connects her to it as well. I I I, I don't want to take away your fun if that's how you want. I to want read, it. <laughs> then, as far as I'm concerned, Jesse, you can have it. I would say though uh, that. If if you take a look at hyacinths, there it's, there are a number of different uh, of, of images that one can find. But um, if you just 
look quickly for hyacinth, you'll see that uh, a very common form is one where you have very tightly gathered together mm. um, flowers that sort of look like many, many curls. It mm-hmm. looks like uh, what used to be called Persian lamb. It looks like the the tight ringlets that one sometimes see carved on the uh, the heads of Greek goddesses. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think although one can think of uh, hyacinth hair as another smell mm-hmm. um, and one can have the naiad airs as the aroma as well as the naiad ears yeah. or the songs. Um, I think the aspect of the line, thy hyacinth air, thy classic face, prepares us for the window niche or niche in which statue-like I see these stand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in fact, uh, a Poe reader uh, really can't help but remember uh, at our era in the 21st century, something like The Raven, mm. where we have a bust and we have a contemplation of the past, a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, mm-hmm. trying to help us find a way or the speaker find a way to tolerate the fact that his love is gone mm-hmm. and she'll never be back evermore. And I'm perfectly willing to believe that although this song, this uh, poem doesn't have a tragic feel to it, um, the speaking voice knows that Helen is gone. Mm. Um, he sees her standing in a window niche. Well, it's not a niche. I mean, a human being can't stand in that in a niche. It's a bay window. Right. But he's making her into a statue absolutely and that folded scroll if we think of her as psyche um which means soul in uh in greek uh psyche is uh, a lover who would have died had zeus not intervened and one of the tasks she had to perform in order to uh, stave off the jealous goddess of love was to go to the underworld and bring back some beauty to restore um Aphrodite's own beauty. Um, Our psyche from the regions which are holy land, not the holy land. Mm. So what is the region that is the holy land in which something has brought back and it's in the folded scroll? Mm. I think it's not the light which uh, psyche mistakenly shines on Cupid and that's what gets her in trouble. That's in Um, the later revision, right? That's right. But in fact... In this revision, she's got a scroll. We can't see it. I think it's a poem. I agree with you. And, and I think that poem is... The holy land for Poe, that lover of death, that holy land is the underworld that Psyche, in fact, has to visit in the Greek myth. And in fact, with with Jane no longer available to Poe in his life, he has turned her into a statue holding beauty mm closed up in a poem in her hand, uh, she who has come back to him uh, or may put him in mind of the holy land of death and the departed. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the accepting, grateful other side of the coin that we read in The Raven. I, 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 th- I agree. It can totally be read that way. And uh, this is the word I keep, I, I like using, bivalent, right? So it has 
the possibility of being addressed only to Helen, the classical Helen. I don't think that that's as interesting as other ways of reading it, uh, the childhood um, lo uh, love, um, you know, uh, a love that cannot quite be. <laughs> but I think it can also be addressed to just lovers in general. And, and that last stanza really has power. Lo, look, behold, in that shadowy window niche, as you say, a bay window, how statue-like I see thee stand. Thee? Oh, right, Helen, right? And what is she doing at the window? Oh, she's getting some light so she can read this folded scroll, this letter, this love note, this poem. Ah, Psyche, from the regions which are holy land. Um, if we're going with uh, the theory that Edgar Allan Poe's a playa, <laughs> and this is a seduction letter, which it kind of is, I think, at least one way of reading it. Um, he's described her body. Um, she has hyacinth hair. She has a classic face, those naiad ears, right? Um, she smells good. Um, he would like to <laughs> uh, pet gently her, her body. Um, but more importantly, uh, she is a goddess. How so? Ah, psyche. As in the psychology the soul the spirit and i love your metaphor tying this right together coming up from the underworld coming out from underneath the subconscious realization right psyche from the regions which are holy land at the end of this if i was filming this i would have the poet outside in the yard maybe hiding behind a bush <laughs> <laughs> the uh, receiver of this letter um in the bay window, like a statue, holding a folded scroll, a.k.a. I, at first I thought it might be a book, but actually I think it's much better as just a, uh, a letter. Um, a folded scroll. And then as she reads those final lines, realization. Ah, psyche from the regions which are holy land. The holy land here is her mind as well as the you know the afterlife the the most holy part about her is not oh yeah she's got a sexy body but rather the realization the realization and the comprehension and this is um this idea of you know psyche in in um mythology is married to eros right aka cupid um right. uh there are some really interesting implications when you start thinking about, you know, the gods as sort of aspects of human reality. Except, except Psyche, neither Psyche nor Helen start out as gods. They start out as mortals. Uh, well, yeah, uh, Helen's half a god, right, at the beginning. But, yeah, she she's certainly, she's more like Heracles, right? Um, it's what, and, what and Psyche, is completely, cause Psyche is completely immortal. Yes. A mortal. Yes, she is, uh, as is... Uh, Odysseus, which is, I think, wonderful, right? He's one of the few of these uh, characters who doesn't have a, a an immediate ancestor who was a god. His father, right. he, you know, his father's a mortal man, um, and it's one of the reasons he's the most the most relatable character, right? Is because he is his skill is not being bulletproof. His his skill is not um, 
uh, you know, that he can fly, or he's the mightiest uh, armor, uh, mightiest armed man. He doesn't have the spear throwing or the size or the carrying capacity of any of the other Greek heroes. It's his mind and his ability to compose a plan, especially a plan of attack, and that famous horse plan, right? I think that this works the same way. If this is um, Poe acting as as Odysseus, he has built a Trojan horse, right? This is a way for a a very young man to impress an older woman. Ah, uh, well, if in fact we want to make it that biographical. Uh, one should note that Poe was born in 1809, and the very earliest version of this poem is 1831. So, in fact, he may have fallen in love with Jane Stannard when he was 14, but he waited seven years. Uh, sorry, uh, this is 31. It was tw- he was 22. He waited eight years until mm. he wrote this poem. So... Uh, well, that's when it was published, right? So it, it could have been that he, he gave her this note. <laughs> it, it, it could have been, I guess. But, you know, I mean, I remember being 14. I don't – I don't. one of the things that I find so remarkable about this poem in Poe's canon is that although it, it gives us his musicality, it gives us his uh, – some of his technical proficiency, it gives us his erudition, um, it gives us recollections of or adumbrations of some continuing themes about failed love or incomplete love and death. Um, it doesn't have those pains that one is used to seeing. It doesn't have the torments and the terrors. Mm. It doesn't express – agonizing longing it's just wow look at you you've come back from the underworld and written a poem about it that's folded up in your scroll and now you're just thinking about your experience standing there like a statue beautiful Uh, that that sense of calm may in fact reflect the eight-year gap between falling in love Mm. and writing the poem I, I will also point out that the the change, the second uh, revision, or the revision, where instead of saying the folded scroll within thy hand, it says the agate lamp within thy hand, it actually changes who the psyche is. So in, in that agate lamp in the mythology uh, has a drip of oil onto Eros, which wakes Eros in the traditional uh, myth- Greek mythology. Whereas here, the folded scroll within thy hand uh, need not be waking the reader, uh, the writer of that folded scroll. In fact, it would make less sense because where I'm holding it, it's it's a paper in front of me. I can easily fold it. Um, it I think it does the other way. I think it does. I think in changing it to the agate lamp, he's. It could be read much easier as you awoke in me um, erotic love. And, and that actually tells a different story, right? It says, Helen, you were the first woman I fell in love with. And in that way, it's, it's more um, 
I don't know, sort of uh, chaste. I like it. I, I, I prefer the I prefer the the scroll too. Yeah. Uh, and it it also fits with the standard romantic notion. I mean that the romantic period that we see in so many writers, Poe included, that the writing of a poem can give one peace. But even Poe, after writing what you and I think of as the culminating version of this poem, found that there was always more to say. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.